0: The blast from our past network.
1: Talking back.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back. This is the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, in comics, in video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. This week, we have something very fun. We have a bit of a follow-up episode. Yes, that's right. Coming off of our recent RoboCop 2 review, we're going to be reviewing Frank Miller's RoboCop 2 comic book, which is the original story he wanted to tell before producers pissed all over his script. Dean is here this week. Hey, Dean. Hey, what's up, Tim? what's up and it's always a pleasure introducing this special guest and our friend Corey stevenson is here to help out Corey, what's up
0: hey guys thanks for having me on the show it's always always a blast when i come on here i always have fun with both of y'all
2: that's true that is a fact that it's always a blast <laughs> Always. I
0: I feel like I'm speaking for the <laughs> listeners though. It is always a blast when I'm on talking yeah. back. That's not not what I meant. <laughs> I meant I have fun with you guys.
2: <laughs> exactly. It's always a blast when we can get together and chat about something. So, uh we've done something very similar to this before. The three of us got together to review William Gibson's original Alien 3 script. Uh that was turned into a comic. So I, I really like that we're here today to sort of do the same thing all over again. This is fun.
1: Yeah. I didn't put those pieces together. You're right, Tim. That makes it even more exciting. More epic. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a lot of episodes, eh, hey, Dean? Yeah. It's hard to keep track. We do. We have a lot. Hard to keep <laughs> I, I, I forget a lot of them. <laughs> I need the wrap-up episode. I need that episode just to catch me up on what we did. There's only so much space in the brain before yeah, episodes exactly. just start
2: dripping out the side of your head
1: and yeah. you lose them forever. Yeah. As soon as I make the, that hundredth episode every hundred ones. <laughs> I drop all those hundred episodes on my mind. They're gone. <laughs> well, speaking of which, you
2: should get going on the next one, because we're at like I know. We're in the twenties, so get get I on know. it, Dean.
1: I haven't done anything yet. You want to spend another the best? <laughs> Sorry, I going. was gonna Go say
0: the best is when uh Someone hits you, like a new listener hits you up and is like, oh, I was listening to this episode from like three years ago. Remember when you guys said this? And I'm like, man, I don't even remember what I said last week's episode. Come on now.
1: (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Don't
2: remember. (laughs) I I had somebody recently just say, oh yeah, I just started listening to the podcast and I started at the beginning and I'm going to go through them all. And I'm like, that's, that makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Because our stuff was so bad back at the beginning. I feel like just the quality, just I feel like so much has changed. And I always feel like our news, whatever we're putting out next is the best stuff because we have so much experience. So, you know, I'm definitely grateful that 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 person wants to do that. And I think it's really cool. Uh, he said he's a completionist, so he has to listen to them all. He can't just jump right in now. So very <laughs> right. cool. But at the same Love time, <laughs> oh, man, ouch, there's some doozies back there. <laughs> I feel the same way with podcasting
0: after dark. I'm like, uh, just start with the newest stuff and go backwards. It'll be a I feel like it'll be an easier transition into the bad quality, the bad right. sound quality. <laughs> right,
1: right.
2: So, Corey, this was sort of your idea. Um, you had read this comic before. You thought it might be fun to, you know, kind of cover this content. So what exactly is your history with this comic? And if you feel like, you know, extending that to RoboCop and RoboCop 2, uh, feel free.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I'll give the whole RoboCop history for me. Um, Well, like Tim, I was born in 1978, so I'm a firm 80s kid. Um, I saw RoboCop in the theater when I was nine. Uh, My dad took me to see that. Uh, it was pretty rough for me to watch. Um, at that time, I kind of understood. My dad kind of under like explained squibs to me. Like I understood squibs, but I didn't understand how they could get a guy to melt on screen. That just that <laughs> blew my mind. Um, but, that was real. You know, <laughs> that was. I, I was like, did they get the guy to actually melt or something? Um, but, you know, like a good 80s kid, I watched the RoboCop cartoon, I played with the Robo I had the RoboCop toys. Um, I was excited about the RoboCop uh, being on on WCW or whatever it was oh, in that was 1990 the, best. The, the wrestling match. Um, and I saw RoboCop 2 in the theater. Um, I enjoyed it. It's always one of those movies that I I always have a fun time with and I feel nostalgic about. I would always prefer Uh, RoboCop 1 over RoboCop 2 even then I knew it was a better movie but there was something fun about RoboCop 2 in the same way that there's something fun about Predator 2 I like that as well Um So, you know, so I watched it and I enjoyed it and everything. And then, you know, fast forward, I, you know, you hear about the Frank Miller script and whatnot as, you know, growing up and everything. And, you know, I was reading the Dark Horse comics and, you know, they had a Robocop versus Terminator and all, all kinds of stuff. I was having a great time with it. And then, you know, this came out, I think like in the mid 2010s, 2009 or something like that. 2003. Um, Okay. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, that sounds about right because I was working at Diamond Comic Distributors then, and I remember, I remember there was, I remember anything by Avatar Press was never monthly. It would always like like two like two issues would like could have six months in between, you know what mm. I mean? And so I never wound up collecting it, even though I love this artist, um, uh, who we'll obviously will talk about Juan Jose Rip. Um, he's like a Jeff Darrow light, uh, but that's I feel like that's an insult because I think he's just as good as Jeff Darrow to be honest with you. Um, so I found this. Comic book at a used bookstore in LA. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I forgot about this. And yeah, you know, finally, you can read it all. And I read this thing and I'm like, oh, good Lord, this like blows the movie out of the water. And it's saying so much. Like it's a very heavy, heavy read. Um, but I've read it multiple times uh, since I picked it up probably about five or six years ago. I've read it multiple times. I like to read it. It's just, it's a fun read, even though it's like super gory, but like Jeff Darrow's artwork, you know, as well, you can just spend hours looking at one page and looking at every single panel and and what it is and everything. And it was it's also fun seeing what, you know, made it to RoboCop 2 on the screen and and Mm -hmm. what didn't make it. But ultimately, I don't think this, Script is filmable. I I don't think you can film this movie. It's it's too big. It's too much. Um, It could have been a TV series. This could be like an HBO TV series, but... Not a movie. It needed to be trimmed because it is, I mean, it took me a couple hours today to read it. I, I mean, I read fast with comics, but it, this one takes a while to get through. Um, so, yeah, that's my my experience with just RoboCop in general. I had the movie poster as a kid on my wall. RoboCop was freaking everything as a kid. Um, and I'm, yeah, looking forward to getting into, like, all the differences and, and everything about this comic.
2: I think you could make this script a movie now. But not back when RoboCop came out. Robo- RoboCop 2 came out. It's just, it would, would have been impossible. But you, I think you could do this now.
0: Yeah, I think. Yeah, but I think it would probably be better served as maybe a limited run series versus a movie and really get the chance to flesh out the ideas that, ha- that this has in it.
2: Yeah, it would have to be a longer movie, like three hours or something.
1: Yeah, I, I think it can't really be a studio movie, though, because it's so cynical. Like there's just so much stuff in it that I don't think, after like I, I feel like RoboCop made like a hundred million dollars, right? I I don't feel like I felt like they probably opened that script, read a couple pages, and they were like, uh, no, <laughs> can't do this. We need people to come to the movie. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the problem. I think this could be made with a like maybe smaller studio, something that's not out there to make like a a blockbuster summer movie.
2: Yeah, I'm not and saying I irony- could make it a- so I'm not saying it could make a bunch of money. I'm saying it could be made and it would be well. Like it would be a, a good movie. It'd be done well yeah. if made today. Yeah. Whether people like it or not, who knows? Like I'd say the same thing. I I don't know how many people might read this comic and like this comic, even though I thought it was great. But this is yeah. like Corey said, it's a kind of a it's a heavier comic. This isn't for everybody. You know, it's a bit of a, a hard read, longer read. Um, but I just think with like effects and just the progression in film. I believe that's why it's filmable today and wasn't back in you know, right. w- when RoboCop 2 was out.
0: Yeah, And the I- irony is, is, you know, Irvin Kershner directed RoboCop 2, which he directed Empire Strikes Back, although, you know, kind of as a proxy for George Lucas, but... This story feels very much like the Empire Strikes Back of the RoboCop story because it's so bleak and and so dark. Um, I don't think I don't think that was any kind of, you know, on purpose connection to have Irvin Kershner do it. He was just available. But it does seem like a proper fit, considering he did Empire Strikes Back.
1: Yeah.
2: So, Dean, I think you and I were the same. We just read this for the first time recently for this podcast.
1: Yeah, for sure, but uh, opening up the first page, I knew exactly who did the art, um, and that's because I love Juan Jose Rip, and only from one book, one book that I know, I have it right here, Black Summer, written by Warren Ellis. This is a book that I just was like handed at my comic book shop by uh, by the guy who just like runs it, and he's like, you got to check this out. The art's incredible. It, is that part
0: I- of the Crossed series?
1: No, I don't okay. think so. I don't think it's part of the cross series. Okay. Um, yeah, because he did, he did some cross art too, right?
0: Well, and Warren Ellis, I think, did cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's not part of the cross series. Um, but yeah, I was just handed that book and I've loved it. I've loved it ever since. And I've never read anything else that this guy uh, has done the art on. And as soon as I saw page one, I was like, I know who this is. And I quickly like looked, him, looked up the artist. So I was like, yep, that's him.
0: Now, have you either of you guys read Frank Miller's Hard Boiled? Um, it was a Dark Horse comic limited series, I think like four issues, but it was drawn by Jeff Darrow. So, you know, I'm—we've made the reference already that that he's kind of a Jeff Darrow clone um, type of thing. His style is exactly the same as Jeff Darrow, which is this hyper hyper-detailed style, but uh, if you ever get a chance, uh, Hard Boiled, it came out in the early 90s, I believe, maybe late 80s, but it's this cyberpunk, you know, neo-noir, it's it's, a, it's spectacular, it's wild, but it's written by Frank Miller, and uh, art by Jeff Darrow, so check that out if you get a chance.
2: I was not familiar with Juan Jose Rip, but his art style reminded me of uh, James Stokoe, who did yep. Aliens Dead Orbit Dean? That I'm sure you thought the same thing. It's very, very, yeah. like we've talked about. You know, we're, we're saying that this guy about this guy specific style. So what it is is hyper, hyper detailed. It's like on a, a two inch by two inch piece of RoboCop's leg, you will see all sorts of detail. There'll be like dirt and dust and lines and scribbles and all sorts of stuff, and then that spans the entire page every panel has so much detail in it it's just one of those things you look at and you're like who has the time to do this how do you the human he must have like gone over these pages so many times just adding in more and more detail it's uh, yeah. really really fascinating really really good art um if you guys like this artist he has done movie adaptations for A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Friday the 13th. So awesome. you guys might want to yeah. check that out. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I, I, I saw that I was after and I was it. like,
1: I definitely have to check those out. I definitely have to look into those because, uh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Reminds me of James Stokoe and James Stokoe is my favorite artist. So uh, I, I love this guy too.
0: Yeah. yeah, I picked up uh, Aliens Dead Orbit because of your all's recommendation and and very much enjoyed that. And those comics that you mentioned, Tim, that uh, Rip worked on, those were the ones that I was collecting, you know, w- when I was okay. working at Diamond. And I just stopped because, again, it would take like four months for one issue to come out. Mm. But, yeah. you know, all three of us are comic book uh, readers pretty much our entire life. We, you all know... When you see the pages where they have to rush through it and everything, there's not a single page or a single panel that doesn't have a hundred percent detail. Like he's yeah. working this entire nine issues, beefy beefy trade. Um, but he's working at a high level on every single panel. There is nothing that's rushed in this entire comic. So you know what? Maybe good on Avatar Press for for not pushing any kind of standardized, you know, uh, deadline for him. And because now, even though this comic's actually hard to find, which is dumb, but now you look at it as a complete work and it has no glitches, like no graphical glitches anywhere.
2: It's a very tight story. Uh, it's a nine-issue run from 2003 to 2006. So... That tracks with your comment about there being months between issues, you know, nine issues over three years. So basically three issues a year, roughly. Uh, I would say the detail, it's almost so detailed to a fault at times because it can be hard to follow exactly what's going on because like, let's say in, in a situation where a house crumbles to the ground and there's rubble everywhere, the rubble, that's detail enough just having rubble but then he'll go in and he'll detail all over the rubble and it can be really hard to to figure out sometimes what you're actually looking at but amazing job by him
0: and i think it's and i think you know being able to like sort of see things is because of the the colorist you know um damn it might actually just be him
2: no i was just gonna say the colors are done by uh nimbus studios who have not heard of but uh they worked exclusively with avatar press like i think avatar press just like outsourced this a group of people that had had a name for their studio and just worked with avatar press i had never heard of avatar press before personally um i looked at their comics that they've published i didn't recognize anything but their um the founder of avatar press william christensen he got his hands on a copy of miller's original screenplay and was very interested in telling the story. So he got in contact with Miller, who was also interested in having the story told. And from there, they brought in a Stephen Grant, who um, would adapt that screenplay into the comic form with Miller overseeing the project. So that's kind of your, uh, your group who are working on it. Uh, so Dean, really high level. What do you think about this comic?
1: Uh, high level, I I like this comic a lot. Um, I think it's we we've kind of talked about it a little bit. It's a little ha- hard to digest. Um, it's just very heavy. It's very heavy stuff. I think it's very, I think it's a good follow up to RoboCop, um, because it's also sort of satirical and cynical. Uh, I think whereas RoboCop, Paul Verhoeven's sort of like laughing at everybody and just being like you you know you North Americans are so stupid, whereas Miller's like angry about it he's like mad and it's very he's like exposing all the things that he finds a problem with and uh so it's just sort of like it's it's a nice uh it's a nice piece to follow it up I think because it just to be the same would just you know that's just the same then it's just not as good as RoboCop so I think I, I liked it I enjoyed that it was a little bit rougher a little bit harsher um yeah, just a little bit more. It kind of pushes it in your face. Instead of just sort of Robocop, I'm sitting back and laughing. I'm laughing at this stuff. I enjoy that. This one, I'm a little bit more like, oh, yeah, okay. It's like you know, it's a little angry. Um, jokes are still funny, uh, but they, they hit a little bit differently. But yeah, I, overall, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this book.
2: Yeah, cool. Okay, so we're not really going to walk through the issues because with nine issues, that might be a bit tough with uh, the three of us discussing it. But I would like to give a general story overview for the listeners just so they kind of understand what's going on in this book. So everybody just bear with me for a couple minutes while I go through this. And this is just my summary. So I'm, I'm obviously there's a ton of stuff going to be left out, but we'll, we'll get to some of that stuff. But Detroit is overrun with crime because the OCP officers are on strike. Robocop is still out there doing the damn thing, but he's alone with no support. He's overworked and very run down. He still holds firm to his prime directives, which are causing a problem because the higher-ups at OCP want him to blindly obey orders, such as forcing innocent civilians from their homes so the buildings can be torn down and rebuilt, which is basically OCP's way of flushing out crime, basically tear down the city and build a new one. With the OCP officers on strike, A group named CELTS Rehabilitation Concepts, or Rehabs for short, are brought in to maintain civic order during the strike. And this group, they're a band of mercenaries, and their true purpose here is to kill the OCP officers and destroy RoboCop. They're aided by the new RoboCop, who's created using the brain of the most psychotic member of the rehabs, Kong, and Dr. Love, who works for OCP, is the person responsible for the programming of RoboCop and Robocong. Dr. Love gives RoboCop new directives, hoping he'll screw up in the public eye and be shut down. As the rehabs and Robocong are sent out to do away with the striking OCP officers and RoboCop, no one in the city is safe.
0: Especially not Anne Lewis's clothes.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's weird. I was just thinking the same thing for some reason. (laughs) And I'm fine with it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So, Corey,
2: what did you think about the story um, of, you know, Frank Miller's script here?
0: Yeah. To quote Dean, it's mean. It's a mean story. Um, But at the same time, I think it's very relevant to the climate of today um i think you know it's you know frank miller had some cynicism you know and everything going into this and uh, dean everything you said about that i completely agree that the first one was a little tongue-in-cheek this one feels angry but at the same time not wrong like he's like he's angry at the way the world or america's going and looking at how when it was written to compare to when it is now you know he wasn't too far off i don't think um but Story-wise, this is, it's like, it's part thriller, part sci-fi, noir, part action, you know, the, it's bloody as hell. Um, there's so many people getting killed, but overall, what I think I really enjoyed was this idea, it was just, I mean, they have these ideas in RoboCop 2, but this, in the movie, but this idea of RoboCop Murphy, you know, kind of like trying to figure out sort of who he is and everything and and kind of come to terms with it and then, you know, sort of come to terms with being a Robocop. But at the same time, you know, this other thing is happening and he's trying to also uphold everything. Like, he's holding everything up as as society is crumbling around him. And I love that. I... I feel like this makes Robocop more of a superhero in this uh, uh, book, in this script, than he was in the movie. Um, And I'm here for that. I'm also here for the whole PMC, you know, private military corporations, you know, being used. I I think that's such a relevant thing as well. And then I also like the whole Anne Lewis is an absolute badass in this. And I I do wonder, because I just re-listened to your all's Robocop 2 episode, and, um, you know, the biggest problem you guys had with it, uh, and I don't want to speak for you, but one of the bigger things you guys had with it was Anne Lewis was so nerfed in that movie and so pathetic, but you mentioned... In that episode that she trained Nancy Allen trained, you know, to be in that movie. And I'm reading this and I'm like, I wonder if she read this script and saw what Ann Lewis was going to be and was like, I need to train for that. And then her character was just completely neutered. Um, But I like Mm. that. And I also like um, there's no cane in this. And I'm fine with that because ultimately the big bad is Dr. Love, which is a.k.a. Dr. Fax in the movie. Yeah. And she didn't do much in the movie. I loved what they did with her here. And I just, I think it made all the right moves here in this one. And, 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 you know, sadly, it just makes, even though I enjoy it, Robocop two in the movie, just feels like a shell of, of what this story is here.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said there. There's a lot to unfold in, in what you've just explained there. Um, But I like like, like the story because it tracks really well with the movie. So obviously, you know, I saw the movie first and then read this comic. And I really liked Robocop 2. I thought it was a lot of fun. So I didn't really know what to expect with this. And I was pleasantly surprised with the main beats of that movie are in this story. It's all here. Just the tone is different. And there's some additional things, and there's some things missing. Like, yes, Kane is not in it. Hob is not in it. uh, But that's because they've gone a completely different direction with who the villain is in this comic. So, like, that's all fine. Um, I thought the comic was more intelligent, more sophisticated, uh, deeper characters, you know, which obviously you have time to get into in a nine-issue run. But I did like the movie's fun element like the the fun tone that it had which this story didn't so yeah there's no fun in this whatsoever th- there's a couple things that you'll laugh at but yeah there's no like overarching tone of fun which yeah. I really felt like the first one had and there's similar things in both stories where the movie made it fun uh, the comic decides not to make it fun and it's just like the different choices that were made like um specifically specifically i i would call out to like robocop having new programming they really dug into that being a funny aspect of the movie that's not funny here it's not meant to be funny um it was done for a completely different reason so um it was very interesting to just kind of like go through and and um you know see see the two side by side and i like them both uh, i i'm a fan of both
0: yeah i mean i'd say like i could probably sum up what i like better in the movie than the than the comic uh just with a a few things i liked hob like and i know you guys did too on that episode um i always thought he was a really cool character and you know like kane's girlfriend uh kane i even as a kid i was always like yeah whatever um i personally like the robocop 2 movie design better than the the design of him in this comic book um i i i I don't I don't get it. I don't get the comic book design to be honest with you. Um I like the movie design better and I think even though it's in here the the scene of the failed RoboCops is so much better in the movie than it is in here.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting how much uh, how much better it is in the movie. How much like comedy it is in the movie. And it's kind of the same thing in here. It's just the tone. The tone is completely yeah. different by the time we get to that part in the book that it's not so much funny. You know, it's just, it's, it's almost tragic.
2: Yeah. I I like how this story starts out um, because coming off of Robocop 1, that's kind of a happy ending, right? You've kind of like worked out these these flaws with Robocop. You kind of got it figured out and you feel like he's here to clean up the city and you start this story and like the Detroit, the world that we're in here is a disaster. It's never been worse. And, you know, it's because the the officers are on strike. So there's nobody out there doing anything. But I thought that was a really interesting decision by Miller to go that route, you know. Not say, "Yeah, Robocops here, things are going well. It's like, let's find a way to have the city worse than it was before. And let's start there. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, choice, and you know, loved you know the way that they they show all that. There's crimes are rampant. There's, you know, child trafficking. Uh, buildings are being smashed down with families still living in them. Just as the city's or OCP's answer to let's clean up the city by destroying it and everybody in it. <laughs> like, really interesting. But, you know, you've got Robocop, just the one guy who's out there doing it. He's still there. He's running nonstop. It's uh, you know, solved crime after solved crime. And when I say solved crime, it's him murdering bad guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: it's uh, it was really it was a really great start to, to the story.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. It's a, it's a good pickup because if you still have this, these OCP, you still have them making these police robots. You still have them, you know, you know, doing that. And so, the police force goes on strike because they don't, they don't appreciate this. I like that. I like that Robocop's the only one out there doing stuff because he's, you know, he's, he's a robot. He's out there. He's out there solving the crimes. And I also like the tearing down of the, the houses stuff. I thought this was really good. I thought that this could have like, I, I really wish this was kind of in the movie. I mean, it makes an appearance, I think in Robocop three, kind of, I think that Robocop three is a little bit about that. Um, but this is stuff that I wish wasn't taken out. wasn't taken out of the movie. Cause I thought that, uh, you know, tearing the homes down before anyone can even get out was a really a really neat aspect of how this city is just crumbling.
0: And an aspect that I wish also made it into the movie from this beginning scene is how messed up RoboCop is and, and how he's pushing himself. And everyone's like, well, it doesn't matter. He's a robot. It's like, but no, he's not. And I think that's Frank Miller kind of reminding us that he's still a man in there. And Dean, I mean, I, again, I keep going back to it. You were so accurate when you said how mean the script was and how, you know, the story is, but I do think he makes RoboCop not mean. Like, he does everything to make the world around RoboCop to be as mean and miserable as possible, but he makes RoboCop a superhero. And I love that first, this first segment where he's trying to tra- chase down that girl, the like, help that little girl that, you know, that was sort of absconded with by those two drug dealers. And, you know, and it's just, he's chasing them down, and, and as he's going by, he's, like, shooting... You know, he's uh, people are drinking outside and he's just shooting the the glass bottles. But, you know, so he's solving one crime as he's trying to go after another one. <laughs> and that's awesome. And I love that. I love that he's he's not cynical like Murphy, like Robocop's not cynical in this story. And I love that. But I also would love to see them push the envelope of being like you know how much can he take because he's like 99% robot but he's still human how much can his mind take because he's been online for like 72 hours without any repairs or rest and he's just and I like when he gets back to the police station and he just fucking he collapses and you know Lewis is like you know get a medic over here like help, help this guy like oh my god Murphy you know and he's just like he's literally oozing like, like blood is coming out of his organic parts like he's breaking down but he just he doesn't want to stop because he's the only thing stopping the tidal wave of crime in that city and i don't know it just it seems like it's he's trying to be superman but he's not and that's what makes it interesting because he can't do everything he isn't indestructible as much as we we want him to be and that's what ultimately makes him a much more interesting character in in this book here and in frank miller's script
1: yeah Definitely. And it's because of that. It's because he's the only character, or maybe not the only character, but one of the only characters that is like sincere, that is like not cynical he's us like we can read the book and we can be robocop because he's like just in this world that's on fire he's been dealt the shitty hand and he's just doing his best so i think it is sort of like he's kind of the only hope we have in the book of this world that's crumbling around which i think is kind of what frank miller is getting at like the world's on fire and we're just doing our best uh so i love that i love that we can connect with at least him in this story and try to root for him and make it through even though he's been dealt like this shitty hand
2: so you touched on my, um, I wouldn't say my favorite, but it was the funniest moments in the book for me was, you know, r- with Robocop coming back to, to OCP and walking in and seeing Lewis. And yeah, he, he was on, he's been on for 76 hours and he's a mess. He's drooling and just looks like shit. And Lewis asks him if he's okay. And he says, yes. And then falls backwards through a wall. Right and <laughs> I, Matt, I love, I laughed so hard at that. Yeah. Because I could just see that happening in the movie. You know, it's not like he just fell down or fell over. He fell through a wall. Uh, that That was great. But like Frank Miller at times can be long-winded. If you've read any of his stuff, you know that. He's, you know, he's got areas of too many panels per page with too much text in each panel. But... That was mixed nicely in this book with large sections of nothing but action with very little text. And yeah. and I- the and the action is gruesome. Like for example, when he rescues
0: that one that little girl, like remember that the the drug dealer girl picks up a gun and he shoots through the barrel of the gun and it blasts through her chest and there's this very like the next panel is very disturbing where she's like looking at looking down at the the gaping hole in her own chest and like her eyes are drooping and her pupils are all like tiny and it's just I look at that and I'm just like that's just it's horrific that's but it's like a she deserves it because she's so crappy but at the same time I'm like that is it's a horrible image to be honest with you
2: yeah I just wanted to say that I liked this format of the story because in the text-heavy sections, we're being crammed with story, right? That That's where we get all the story and we learn about the characters, but not RoboCop. It's like the sections without the text, that's the moments that we're left to spend with RoboCop. And I felt like in those moments, we were learning a lot about his character by watching how he observes and reacts to the world around him and how he decides to engage in different situations, whether they're safe or unsafe. He's not doing a lot of talking, but we learn a lot from how he scans people or what he looks at out on the street and whether he does something about it or not. I feel like they did a really good good job of like, Giving us a narrative of his character without really saying words, which is the opposite of almost every other character in the book, where it's just driving home by text what these people are all about. Um, It was almost calming and soothing to kind of like watch Robocop go around the city in silence doing things.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that take a lot because, you know, often when you get caught up in all those, you know, they're going commercial to commercial or news story to news story, whatever. And you're just like, bullshit, 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 bullshit. Like, all this is garbage. Like, it just starts to go in and, and out the other ear because you're like, man, this world's so messed up. It's, this is all trash. And then just to get the calm, the calm through Robocop. Robocop. And, like, that character, that only only character I can connect with, to, to have that calm, it calms, you know, me down uh, in those in those panels. And then we can, like, move on with the uh, the hyper style of the rest of the book.
0: Yeah, and that, those dialogue scenes, you know, the new scenes and all this kind of stuff, you know, sometimes I speed through it because I'm like, you know, if it's not really applicable to the overall story that's there, I kind of like, okay, it's it's a lot of dialogue, but it's world-building, and I appreciate yeah. that. Um, And, you know, of course, they they kind of drew from that for, for part two. They had the same thing as they had in part one, which, you know, these new stories kind of make the world for us. But did you guys notice that there was a Skynet scenario in the background of the news stories. They kept talking about the Sawa uh, Internet. Uh, um, uh, it's called, It was called, like, the Sawa Internet system, and it, like, goes rogue, and everyone was worried about them <laughs> uploading it to the computer, and it was just Skynet. Like, it, he was, I think, right. he was la- layering in Skynet, I think, because I know... Dark Horse did a, a Robocop versus Terminator crossover series. And I almost wonder if he laid that into this script as by them to kind of like maybe in the movies to make a groundwork for a Robocop term, because they had already laid the groundwork for an aliens versus Predator in Predator 2. Right. So I'm wondering if he put this in there to sort of lay the groundwork for maybe a Skynet scenario. But and then and then in the movie. They just talk about the defense laser kind of, no, I think that was part one, shooting the rainforest. That was part one. Um, I don't know if any of it made it to, to part two, but I, I don't know. I found it interesting, and I wondered, I was wondering if something was there. like I was wondering if he was making some kind of an allusion to Skynet or something like that.
1: Yeah, well, he he did write the Robocop versus Terminator. I think I think Frank Miller wrote it. So yeah. whether or not it was put in there, or whether or not he just liked it, and that's why he's doing the Robocop Terminator. That's that's interesting. I didn't notice that in the. I didn't notice that in this book. Yeah,
0: it was probably in his head already and he was probably yeah. mulling it over and just kind of layering it in. And that comic was kind of interesting because they took the idea that um it was RoboCop that they used to create like the Terminators and whatnot mm, yeah. and and everything. I was like ah, I was like, "You know what? That actually kind of
1: works for me." <laughs> it's a cool idea and a good way to cross the universes. Yeah. Yeah, that agreed. sounds cool.
2: Yeah. So, Corey, what were some of the main differences between the movie and the comic that stuck out for you?
0: Um, well, that's funny. I wrote down stuff that made it into the movie. So um, well, Ann Lewis, and we need to spend a solid 15 minutes talking about Anne Lewis. Let's do but it. But that right that right there, she is probably the biggest difference. La- the lack of Kane, the lack of the whole nuke scenario, the lack of Hobbes and and you know, Kane's men and everything is probably the next biggest thing. But Anne Lewis. She is so much more awesome in this story here. She gets into, like, multiple uh, engagements with these mercs, and she kills them, like, brutally. One guy, she fights hand-to-hand with a knife and, like, stabs the dude in, like, the ribs or in the lungs and kills him. She's like, you probably—because he was like, I can kill you with a knife. And she's like, you've never been to Detroit. And I I like that because she's— I I think she's, you know, she's from Detroit. She should be, like, streetwise and tough and everything. Um, And she holds her own, and she saves RoboCop at the end with the rocket launcher and everything, and she's such a badass. But she's half-naked the entire comic book. And as much as, you know, the sleazy sea inside of me enjoys that, I also found it to be a little bit immature and kind of neutering to her character a little bit because it's like, oh, look how badass she is, but also she's hot and she's eye candy. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that worked for me when I, I mean, it works for me now. I mean, if, at 45, it still works for me, but I don't know. I, I just, I just, I felt like it was a little, little a, Little me too ish, you know. I don't know. It just it felt a little sleazy to me. But uh, I loved how badass she was, though. I loved how she didn't take any shit. She gets set on fire and like blown up, and just all that happens is her clothes gets melted off, and she just keeps coming. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe this is fine. Maybe it's showing how badass she is that she can like kill anybody in like her freaking skibbies. But at the same time, no guy's clothes get blown off the way hers does. So. I don't know. What what are your all's thoughts on that?
1: I I was with you, Corey, just on that on that specific character, because she's being so badass. And like, I got no problem if you want to put that in the comic book, but there's like times, I think, for it. And I don't think like the action scene when she's trying to be badass is the time for it. I think if you want to have that. Like write a sex scene, uh, that's fine. Like it's totally fine for her character to go off and do that. I don't know if the entire comic being shirt blown open is the way to way to do it. Um, you know, there's lots of that with Love's character too, which I don't mind because that's kind of her character. Like that's that's kind of her thing. Maybe her po- maybe her positions weren't always the, the greatest, but maybe not actually how someone stands. But like I didn't mind it with her character as much as I did with Lewis, where it's like she's kind of kicking ass here you're sort of taking the focus away from that. You know, I thought maybe if that wasn't there, we could just be thinking about how awesome she is and how much she's kicking ass.
0: Because we have two strong female characters on paper. Like Dr. Love, she's smart, she's manipulative. I I dig her as a villain. And yes, every scene she's in, she's posing provocatively. She's like, it's really interesting. And I think you're right, Dean. Like, I think it's like, it's on purpose because she's using psychology. Yeah. She's in this. She's you know you get the idea that maybe she she's in this world of mostly men. Obviously, all these people in power are men, and she knows how to get her way by showing off the "quote unquote" the goods, right? Uh, and this is not a not PC at all, but but you know that was that's the idea here, and I get that. But like then your other strong, super strong female character is as as Anne Lewis. And she's also as sexualized, which kind of makes it just so much sexualization left and right that, like, it, it takes away from what I think Dr. Love is trying to do, and then just because it's just, it's too much sexualization. So, I'm okay with, like, Anne's, like, I don't know, her sleeve getting ripped off, but when I say her clothes are nearly obliterated, she's literally running around in, like, at one point in boots and a bra and panties. And that is it. And I guess the bra and panties are bulletproof. I don't know. But she's also <laughs> covered in blood because she's also messed up. And it's just like, am I supposed to be turned on right now? What am I supposed to feel right now?
1: I do think that that is what uh, that is Frank Miller-esque to be like mix the sexuality with the violence. I think that is something he does. Um, so I wonder if that was done to keep in sort of the spirit of something that he would do. Um, because that is then him, like, commenting on that, which I do think is interesting. Uh, But, yeah, I I wasn't sure. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell when reading the book if that was what was going on or if it was just kind of, yeah, just whatever, cheap sexualization or not.
0: Like, it boils down to, are you commenting on something or are you just getting your jollies
2: on? (laughs) Right, right. Oh, that's my comment. Like, have you guys read Frank Miller before? Like, this (laughs) this is nothing new. This is what he does, right? Yeah, Look at Sin yeah. City, full of powerful women, and they're all sexualized, right? Over-sexualized. They're, they're barely wearing much. They have, you know, big boobs, big ass. Um, but
0: in it, Sin City, they're supposed to be strippers and hookers. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're kind of of it.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm just I, I saying should, that, that like there's a that's difference. how he draws his women, though, right? That's yeah, what he wants. Yeah. That's his style of woman that he wants in the comic, and that's what he does. So I would be with you guys if... It was only Lewis who was portrayed this way, but all of the women in the book are drawn the same way. They're portrayed. They're portrayed the same way, like Lewis. Okay, walk through the steps of how her clothes come off. It's not like she's walking down the street and a button pops off and her top flies off. Like she to talk to her how badass she is as well. She gets um, like shot and grazed um, in the shoulder by a bullet. Uh, she then jumps through a window. She gets shot in the foot as she jumps out. She jumps off a fire escape into a pile of garbage. She gets grazed by another bullet. She jumps into her car. She ends up rolling her car. She gets in a gunfight with a merc, runs out of bullets, then has a knife fight with him, kills the guy with a knife. So, I mean, if you want realistic, you probably going through all that. You might not still be wearing every single piece of, piece of clothing that you started with. Um, so I hear what you guys are saying, but I don't think this is any sort of like thing that Frank Miller has decided to like over sexualize her for any reason. I think this is just what Frank Miller does. This is what he likes to see. And this is how he wants the, the women drawn. And, you know, was it too much to have, you know, her top come off yes probably you don't need that for lewis but at the same time this is a different lewis this isn't the the pathetic movie lewis who you know doesn't do shit this lewis is in there you know she's a true equal for robocop in this book and if you're going to show robocop how beaten down and destroyed and dirty and messed up he's getting as a machine i think it's only fair that you show the same for lewis that she's She's wearing those scars as well. Her character's taking her character's going through the same meat grinder that he was, and Frank Miller just he's not afraid to to show that. Yeah.
0: I I get what you're saying. Although Lewis has no scars whatsoever, she is, you know, gorgeous <laughs> every time that the clothes get burned off, but I know what you mean. That's it's a representation of her going through the same shit that uh, Murphy Cop is going through because they're the only ones that are on duty. Like uh, the whole co- the cops are striking, and that's something they took they they brought into the movie as well. Um, the the cops are striking and everything, and you know as people are all yelling back like cops don't strike and whatnot. And and but I think it was done sort of better in here uh, than in the movie. But one and so yeah, I I think you're right. I I, I do agree with you that that her her clothes getting blown off like you can see it happen like all the pieces like her car explodes um and i do think you're right it's a representation of uh, of her being an equal to to murphy now one thing that i think they kind of got exactly the same in the movie maybe even got a little bit more out of in the movie is the meeting of murphy's wife with murphy you know I, and i know you guys wanted more from that scene in in the movie originally um and and so did i but reading what happened in the comics I feel like we got all that there ever really was, essentially. Um, and if anything, I feel—I mean, we got the, the cry. We got the tear that you guys wanted to see. I wanted that tear. We actually tier. got it in. Yeah, got that tear. Um, but overall, I don't think that there was much more of it in the original script than we saw in, the, in the, the movie.
1: I think the one thing for me that puts it over in the script in this comic is that she was pregnant. So she has clearly moved on. She has clearly mm-hmm. moved on from Murphy. She thought he was dead. Yeah, And she just moved on with her life. Um, so I think even just that visual of her standing in front of him and she's pregnant, he's just clearly also seeing that this is like, this is not his wife anymore. She's moved on. She's with someone else now. Uh, I thought that that was, I actually just got the more of emotion out of just those two standing there with that, you know, that, that one panel where it had them from the side. I got a lot out of that. So um, I see that there wasn't much to work with in the script to put into the movie. And so maybe... In the movie, they weren't doing a great job. Um, but yeah, i did I did appreciate the comic version of it more,,
2: uh, so did I. I thought they did um a far greater job, albeit subtly done. So, yeah, you have Robocop's wife coming to visit him, right? In the movie, she just sees Robocop. it's it's him. he's full he's full bodied Robocop. When she comes to see him here, he's been in a huge battle, and he's only a head and torso. With, oh, I don't know, thousands of wires being plugged into him. Like, um, the the artist and all his detail just drew wires for probably five hours coming out of Robocop. That's that's what the wife gets to see, is Robocop in that state. And, yeah, she's obviously so shocked that, you know, he's not dead because that's what they told her. And he asks like how his son is like, they must have another son who's older. He, he says how, you know, he's asking, how is he? So you can see there's humanity in him still.
0: And I liked all the scar. Did you see, notice all the scars on Robocop's like face, like his organic face had like more scars oh, yeah. on it. Oh, I yeah. like that. I thought yeah, that was
2: he's, cool. Yeah. He's been beaten down real good. Yeah. But um, I, I like that. He like verbalizes that he agrees for a divorce. You know, he's going to let her be free. And then we get the tear out of him. As she walks away, he starts to cry. So I got way more heart out of this scene than I did the other scene. That, that's what the other one was missing. It's like they're saying, okay, here's your heartfelt moment, but they didn't execute on that. It just, it just felt weird. So in this scene, they had in there what was required to give that you know heartfelt feeling. So uh, well done. One thing I, I do
0: like more in the movie was, is when he's like, touch my face, it's cold, True. you know, and because and I do all I do still like the the the, the conspiracy theory that like he's 100 percent pretty much robot and they just pulled his face over top of metal in order to keep him from going insane when he looks into a mirror. Essentially, that's you know really what it is. And it's not really addressed in, in this script here, but they address that in the movie. So I kind of like that just a little bit. But overall, yeah, I think you're right. The, the, what's in the comic is, it is better ultimately.
2: Well, Corey, I think Miller is going a different route than that in this comic because- Be- All the times people say, shoot him in the mouth, it's the only way to kill him. Well, that, and I just felt like- The way that he was kind of portrayed in the book, I thought they made some very neat changes to his character. Um, I felt like they portrayed him in a way that showed he really knows right from wrong better than in the movies. In the movies, I kind of get the feeling like sometimes he's confused. He doesn't really know what to do. Maybe like his morality is programming and he's trying to figure it out. I didn't feel like that was the case here. I felt like he knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. I felt like Miller actually instilled more humanity into him in this comic. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like the streets were safer in this comic with him out there. I just got that feeling like people are gonna be safer than in the movie with him. So
0: like he's like Batman in that regard. yeah, you yeah. Know? you're like, I want him to be out there. And yeah, because like because that is a central thing to why the Robocop program doesn't work, and it's it's you know barely addressed in the movie and everything. And I think they do more of a job of addressing it here, is that Murphy was such a unique candidate, right? And they tell, they yeah. talk about that in the movie, too, and that's why they have to use Nuke to make, you know, make, you know, Kane do their bidding. But, like, they really try to explain things here. Dr. Love kind of explains, like, why this one cop won't work because he's been on the streets for, like, 15 years, and he's used to having things his way, so he's not going to be able to, like, bend his mind to process, like, what's happened to him. You know, I like that, that psychological insight, but, like, Murphy had this, like, strange strong moral compass because he went to church and you know i'm not you know very pro-religion organized religion but i get what they're trying to say they're trying to say that he had this this moral compass and that's kind of what keeps him on this mission and essentially keeps him from going insane like all the other robocops do
2: yeah that was interesting stuff that was you know that was in the movie. They didn't really dig into it. i I would have liked if they had dug into it a little bit more in the comic. they They also they make some mentions of it, and that's kind of the whole driving purpose around, you know, the Robocop two. I do like what they did with it, though, is it's it's doc Dr. Love is like the psychologist, right? She's doing the programming. She's trying to get, you know, the right candidate. And she keeps saying, this is the wrong candidate. This is the wrong candidate. You, you have, you know, you have to have the right profile and all along what she's gearing up for, which was a great addition to this comic that wasn't in the movie is that she eventually downloads her personality into the Robocop. Uh, and she becomes that because like, she believes that her personality is the right one. Uh, she, well, can, she can she handle as that. As the room is
0: burning around her, though. I mean, I, I feel like she's forced into that.
2: No, no, she wasn't. That was her plan because, you know, that little CD that she had? Yeah, that's right. They yeah. show that earlier. They, they drop a nugget of that, that this was her plan. She was going to do that. So I like the idea of, you know, whether it's her... Um, believing that that's true that she can she her personality is right for the Robocop or whether it's you know some God complex where Robocop is so powerful. she wants to be that powerful as well. I mean, i I really like how the story went with her doing that. So yeah, you have Robocop. then you have the Robo Robocong, right? They have yeah. a lot of great fights. We can get into some of that uh, if you guys want. But ultimately, that Robocong gets, you know, shut down and she gets to download her profile and become the new Robo RoboCop 2 and then, you know, her and RoboCop get to fight. But I really, really like that twist. I did not see it coming and I thought it was really intelligent and a really nice addition for her character because her character is a very, very powerful female character uh, in, this, in this comic. She's... Um, very different than Robocop, 2. Like, Dr. Fax was being manipulated by the old man who's not really in this comic at all. I think they mentioned his name one time, but he's not in it. But she was very used. Um, she's thrown under the bus. That is not the character you get in the comic here. She is very strong. She has a plan. She's almost running the whole show. So And, like, any great villain... She thinks she's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like she's
0: like, I, yep. I need to save the city, yada yada yada. So yeah, like I, no villain, no good written villain, well written villain, I should say, thinks that oh I'm the bad guy, I'm gonna do it. They all always think they're doing the right thing, and that's one of my favorite parts of this entire story is her becoming the RoboCop at at the end. Um, yeah, it's pretty violent and everything. Um, but yeah, the Kong stuff. So there's no Kane. Kane's been replaced by uh, Kong, who's like this straight-up psychopath mercenary. Um, And I like the backstory that Captain Reed gives on these mercenaries before getting shot in the head by them, so Captain Reed from the first movie doesn't survive this. Um, But I like... I like the idea of these mercenaries in general. I always like the idea of PMCs ever since back in the Metal Gear days. I've always enjoyed that concept. You know, I think it's really neat. Um, and the fact that, like, these guys are so brutal, you know, and their, their uniforms back in the Amazon War, their uniforms were red to cover the blood and everything, but now they're, like, white, and they have action figures for them, Johnny Reed and all this. Love yeah, that. dude. Yeah, It's, like, it's so cool. But then you have this absolute psychopath on their team, this Kong guy, and he's all scarred up and he's all messed up and he goes toe-to-toe with, with, with RoboCop. You know, I mean, granted, he, he doesn't survive as one wouldn't, but he goes toe-to-toe with RoboCop for a little bit and then, you know, in human form. Then later he goes toe-to-toe with RoboCop again in, in robot form. Um, fucks up a lot of people in the subway and everything, but also one thing I found interesting was when... Dr. Love made him into RoboCop. She didn't want him sedated. She didn't want Kong sedated because she thought it was important for him to understand what he was becoming. And I thought that was, it was such a throwaway little moment, like a little moment dialogue, but I was like, that's such a cool concept and very much akin to um, uh, Anakin becoming Darth Vader and how he clearly, it was painful for him and everything because you know, I, th- I think that's there's something there. The idea that, like, uh, Dr. Love or, or you know, Palpatine just wants them to just understand just what you are now. And I think that's, that's an important thing, and I thought that was really cool. But Kong was, I, I think overall maybe Kane was a bit more interesting than Kong, but I like Dr. Love being the big bad over Kane ultimately type of thing. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'd rather have Dr. Love and Kong... But if it was just Kong or Kane, I would rather take Kane. But if it was Dr. Love and Kong, I, I like that. I like what they did there.
1: Agreed. I like the structure of it all, Um, how it is in this comic Um, compared to the movie. The movie being sort of, you know, the drug lord that then they catch and then they make, you know, this, this Robocop 2. I like the idea that there's this mercenary that Robocop has already fought in person. He becomes robocop 2 they fight in uh, as he's robocop 2 still loses he still loses and then you have the like i'll do it myself uh with with dr love just getting in there and do and like it's kind of maybe it's tropey but i i absolutely love the like failed project failed project failed project fine i'll do it myself you know kind of like even uh in Avengers with Thanos, like post-credit scenes where he just puts on the glove and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Nothing gets me more excited than the big boss who's just like, okay, enough of you. You can't get it done. I'm going to do it. I got super excited. Like you, Tim, I did not see it coming at all. And I was so pumped. I was so pumped when she got in the suit and that that was going to be our final act. And it wasn't going to be Kong that was our final act who He destroyed an issue six or whatever it was, like issue six or seven. I was so pumped that it was her in the final act. Uh, Yeah, so I just love the structure of how it built all the way to get to that end spot.
2: Yeah, they did it well, because by the time we get near that end spot, um, Robocop, he has been reprogrammed by Dr. Love. She's given him these new directives, and... I liked those new directives. Uh, just sidebar. I like I liked the new directives. Now, maybe quickly, what do you guys think about this? But I felt like she was giving Robocop these new directives as a way to make him more docile out in the world, to give Kong and the rehabs a better chance at actually destroying him. Uh, was that your guys' take as
1: well? I thought so. I, th-
0: yeah, I thought she wanted him to be more of a. Of a, of a role model for the kids and everything. But yeah. I,
2: I thought that I, was the veil of why she yeah. was saying she was doing it. I think ultimately okay. she wanted him to be more tame and more easily destroyed. But again, they kind of leave it open ended because she did have a really great comment that I really liked where they were talking about Robocop and his three prime directives. And she said like only having three directives would lead anybody to anti-social thoughts like you need more substance in your life or your programming than just that hmm. and maybe that was causing problems so she ends up putting like 800 or 1881 new directives there for him so there was that but there was something underlying where i felt like she was like that's what she was saying you know to the public but then when they're gone when the cameras are off she's doing it so that he can like more easily be uh, be taken care of.
0: Yeah, I I took it more as like it was like more of a Kind of like a parallel to, to the one news story or whatever when they were talking about that one guy who was like, you know, oh, I got my eviction notice. But, you know, I, I did my P test and my exams and I'm going to have a job in, in new, you know, new Delta City and everything like that. And it's going to be great in Delta City where, you know, we're not going to have any bad thoughts and any bad, you know, TV shows or anything like that. And it's like it's so very fascist. And so, you know, and, and very controlling, Um, and, this, and I felt like it was that was the same parallel, the idea that, you know, if, if all of us have too much freedom, you know, Robocop has too much freedom because he only has three directives, then it's going to lead, the thought is, it's going to lead to him having too much free thought, and therefore, probably going to do something bad, you know, so let me... Basically, you know, having thousands of directives is she's just coming up with multiple scenarios and being like, do it this way, do it that way, be positive, do this, do that, you know, and it just to me, it felt like it was just a more of a parallel to this whole thought police thing that that Delta City was going to have anyways, and it's almost like she's giddy. With like, oh my god, I wish I could do this to every person, but I can only do it to RoboCop because I couldn't actually program him. But like, this is what I would like to do to everyone and then just control everything about them. That's where that's what I took it as.
2: She took it a bit further in the comic than in the movie because one of the things she added with his new directives is that if he broke a directive, uh, she tapped into his nerve endings and he would feel pain if he broke a directive. So I thought that was interesting. It's just like yeah. one yeah. further step to keep him aligned with like what yeah. she wants. But um, just moving moving on, you know, back to her kind of ending here and they, like the way that they led up to it is Robocop, you know, he beats Robocong, He goes to Dr. Love at OCP and he wants his new directives wiped out so that he has zero directives. He doesn't even want his three prime directives. He wants none. And then he wants uh, Robo Kong's programming wiped out. And that happens. The programming is wiped out. And then he basically, like, leaves Dr. Love to die. You know, the, the, the room is on fire. There's computers exploding. Her her she got burned. Yeah. She gets lit on fire. Yeah, half her face is burnt off. He leaves and locks the door behind him, and I think that's it. I think that's it for her. She's dead. But no, she quickly gets that CD in, which is her personality profile, into the Robocop 2 machine, and then she comes out, and she's she's back. She's there. So just I p- love
0: when she busts through the door, she throws her
2: body yeah. through the, her mangled, broken <laughs> I body. That. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, it's, that's a really... Just a really great way to do it. You know, they had me. I thought yeah. I thought it was over with her. They brought her back. I loved it. Thank you for bringing her back. I mean, it just makes so much sense that she would be able to get into the body. She seems like the right person, right? She's the one closest to this whole project. She should be the one. That's the, that's the profile you should have. Uh, you know, the, big miss on the movie, not doing that, not like just deciding to make her character so pathetic. Ugh, big miss, but yeah, loved her yeah. in the comic. And then it leads to a great
0: battle between, you know, her yeah. and RoboCop. And, and, you know, and this, of course, of course, in a construction yard or something, because it just that feels such like an eight, late 90s early yeah. or late 80s, early 90s I love movie it, trope. You know, I, love I love it. I love it.
2: It's great. It's all steel beams of this building. That's just it's a it's going to be a giant skyscraper. But the only thing that's been put together is the steel beams. Yeah. Classic. Yeah.
0: It's so cool. But so and then, of course, like like Lewis, At the same time, they're fighting—her and some some police officers are fighting back against the the OCP mercs and everything, and and they kind of, like, link up and whatnot, and and Murphy and Lewis sort of link up, and he sort of saves the day there, you know, and I I like all that, and then Lewis actually kind of saves— Murphy at the end uh with with the rocket launcher and everything like that and i was like that's cool i really enjoy that and then my biggest shock of the entire book is at at the end of the entire thing murphy picks lewis up and plants a bloody kiss on her mouth and is like i'm out I've got all my freedom now. And it's like, and I started thinking, you know, then we kind of get a little denouement of like, you know, and now he's living in the sewers and just, he's, be, he's become Batman. He's just become Batman yeah, now. It was great. But I'm like, loved it. I know. But I'm like, this is interesting. Like he's completely free now. And that's something that I feel like at the end of the movie they were trying to allude to with like when when Lewis is like oh the old man got away they're all getting away and Murphy's like patience Lewis we're only human you know and and that's his like you know i get it that was him coming to grips with who he is and everything but here i don't know if i entirely love him living in the sewers and becoming a batman type character but i do love the idea that he is completely free now. And I want to know, I need. I want more than what we just, like two pages that we got. I want to know what Robocop's life is going to be like completely free. Like how do you, how is like little things, how he's going to ma- maintain his 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 body. How is he, he going to maintain everything? One, but two, like what's he going to do? Like what does he want to do now that he has all this freedom? I, I thought that was a cool, like, it's just like, man, all of a sudden the world just opens up, and my brain just like explodes with ideas, you know, I
2: yeah. think they gave us enough uh with the with the with the short ending that we get because, yeah, we see Robocop in the sewers or wh- wherever he is, he's in a room, he's got a bunch of computer equipment there he he's wired in so you can tell that he's like taking care of his body that's being cared for, and he's listening to a police scanner, and when he hears something that like that he needs to go out and help with uh he goes so there's lots of different you know things being said over the scanner and he's filtering he he doesn't react to this one doesn't react to that one then he hears one he needs to react to and he goes out and does it so what's like what's robocop going to be well he's he's going to be Human or he's going to like he has. I guess what I'm trying to say is he has his humanity here because he has zero directives, right? There are no directives. It's just him. What's he going to be good or bad? He's still being Robocop. He's doing like what he was built to do. He's helping people while he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to do anything. He could go to the, you know, go to Mexico and hang out on the beach if he wants. But he he just I get that he knows he can make a difference. And that's what he's going to do. Uh, and I liked that. I know this is a bit different, Corey, because you're kind of more on the side of liking he's all robot and possibly that that humanity has gone. But like I mentioned before, I think Miller is going for something different here. And I think this is where he's saying RoboCop still has his humanity. He's still a human underneath all of that. And this is how he shows it, is by stripping him away of directives, giving RoboCop the opportunity to make the choice and then we see Robocop does go out, and he's on the street helping when he doesn't have to, because he
0: he he chooses to. Because yeah, you, like you said, he hears other things, but he chooses which one to go after, and it's the one that is so inherently like good. Like as the reader, we can tell that this is the right choice because they're not trying to make any kind of subtlety here, you know. And yeah, I think I think you're right. It does sort of show his humanity because he's choosing to do this. Um yeah, yeah, but but then my question is like what would RoboCop 3 what would Frank Miller's robocop 3b at this point i mean i don't think there ever would have been one i don't think he would have had any interest in that but it just brings you know it just makes your mind think of like where would he would he also fight a, a, a robot ninja in uh in frank miller's <laughs> robocop 3 <3? laughs> yeah i don't
1: think there is a three after this i think this is where it ends because do i want to watch robocop like you say Corey, b batman Probably not. That's probably not what I want to see at a Robocop. But it's exactly what I want to see at the end of this comic. This comic being being like so harsh and so, you know, like, where's the hope? Where can I find hope? This ending to me is extremely hopeful for the movie that we, or for the comic that we just read. And it is, that what can this guy do who, uh, like I'm taking is me, because I'm, I'm taking that Frank Miller wants us to be RoboCop in this, in this story. So we have to hold on to our humanity, hold on to the little piece we have. What can we do at the end of this is we can separate ourselves from the system and still do good on our terms. And so I just love that. He's doing, he is Batman. He's doing good on his terms. He's no longer part of the system anymore. He's broken free. He lives in the sewer, but he's still going to save that girl. So I I just, I I really loved the ending. I thought it was like so hopeful in something that I wasn't expecting to be hopeful. I, I felt like it could really have lost me at the end if it didn't have this really nice, for me at least, uptick where I was like, okay, I get this. Like, this is actually, this is okay. I really am connecting with this one character in this pretty bleak story. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. Like Frank Miller, he did the story for RoboCop through the movie. Um, obviously it's, you know, must've been dumbed down or he got paid a bunch of money to write it the way that they wanted it because there's no way that movie, you know, is Frank Miller's, you know, raw script i really wish we could get a raw robocop 3 script just like this in comic book form out of him but i mean it was his idea to kind of move into um what happens now if ocp gets kind of taken over by another company like if which is like this japanese corporation that bought they purchase like um you know what do you call it um
0: the the shares like like, yeah, like major shares ma- or yeah, managing
2: yeah. rights or whatever they get they have enough shares to control the company they come in and what do they do with OCP so that's that's his idea he did drop a nugget of that in this book he, he they mentioned that uh, OCP was going to be purchased so that's kind of his plan i can't imagine that <laughs> like that script is what miller wanted for that movie though
1: yeah
0: no this feels like his magnum opus here yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh the Magnavolt made a very yes. random appearance. <laughs> yep,
0: I was gonna. I was literally. You read my mind. I was just about to bring it up. Did you guys catch the the Magnavolt? They was actually in the script. And they, but I actually, you know, it's funny. I like the movie version better. How it was a commercial, uh, with John Glover. Yeah, but, true. Uh, yeah. By the by the way, uh, uh, side note, um, he's uh, John Glover's an alumni from the college that I went to, uh, Towson University. Nice. Oh, cool. Um, Uh, I obviously graduated way before I did uh, Towson University right outside of Baltimore. Uh, John Glover, for a long time, was one of our our most famous alumni. Uh, But now I'd say uh, uh, Mike Flanagan is probably our our most famous alumni, uh, director of Dr. Sleep and and House on Haunted Hill, or Haunting of Hill House, sorry. Um, But actually, I think I was actually there when he was there. I didn't know him, but we were there at the same time. But anyways, I... I like the Magnavault better in the movie, but I love seeing it here. And I'm glad I, I'm glad to see that it was a Frank Miller thing. And that really does make sense that it was a Frank Miller idea, you know? It feels mean like Frank <laughs> like most of Frank Miller's ideas.
2: Yeah. <laughs> There's just no context to it, right? You know, in the movie yeah. it's a commercial. Here, a guy just walks into he breaks into a car, and they did it really well because Robocop is driving or walking past and sees this guy break into the car. And this guy's like, oh shit, RoboCop just saw me breaking into the car. And RoboCop just drives past. He just keeps going. And the guy's like, oh, cool. RoboCop didn't see me or doesn't care. Well, yeah, because RoboCop knows exactly what's going on. He knows you walked into or broke into a car with the Magnavolt and you're going to get fried. And sure enough, this guy just breaks in, gets fried, and that's it. No mention of the product or anything. (laughs) Really neat, liked it. But you, but you don't get the line. <laughs>
0: he starts the car and is like, and it doesn't drain your battery for sure. I mean, I agree
2: with you. It was way better in the movie. But that's yeah. that's where the movie is bringing this humor that the book doesn't have. Yeah, and, which yeah. is why I do like the movie so much is because it's such a funny, funny movie.
0: It is. I do enjoy that movie. It's not perfect. Um And I probably, given the two, I would choose Predator Two over Rob- RoboCop Two. But I think Same. they're both. I think they're both underrated sequels to, to fantastic first movies. Like, you had no right doing sequels that good for movies yes. that fantastic. It just doesn't normally happen that way. Um, but, yeah, RoboCop 2 is fun. Yeah. And I, I always did like the design of RoboCop 2 uh, in that movie, even, even with his little chicken legs. Uh, <laughs> Tim, I know you weren't a big fan of his uh, chicken legs, but I, I liked like them. It. <laughs> I, li- I did like the
2: comic version better. Um, mm. it, it he was shinier, he was newer, he was cleaner. One of my biggest beefs with the movie version was his stupid little face where like an iPad screen comes out. The comic book, it had like a round ball with probably maybe 20 smaller screens on it. Yeah. And those little screens sort of made up like what the face would look like. But at the same time, there were s- some of the screens had, like, um, like scanners and interfaces on them. Like, you could tell there's other things going on in the background. I think one of them had a happy face. I don't know what the fuck that was all about. But I, I really I thought that was really interesting, seeing how much is going on behind the scenes of this Robocop 2. Um, there was some weird stuff. Like, I didn't really understand what was going on with the head and all the wires going back. Kind of looked like a bit like Predator or something, but overdone. Or I got a bit of, like, a Bane vibe from... Um, well, Batman forever but uh well, I think overall but it was I cool though
0: when they were fighting though it was like Kong was starting to come out and I liked that idea that even though his his and so like those multiple screens on her face you would see like her eye in one eye and then Kong's eye in the other and I, I that's something I would actually want to delve more into like is Kong still in there even though they quote unquote erased everything and then that goes into the whole cyberpunk ghost in the machine thing like what makes our soul like is kong's soul still in there is it fighting for superiority over Dr. Love like
1: we don't get answers
0: to it but we get like little hints at it during that final battle and i was like i'm i'm intrigued by that concept
1: yeah i yeah. think th- i think that concept is really cool i think um i think this type of thing with like RoboCop and RoboCop 2 and Miller just trying to like get his ideas through the visuals. I think that's a great one for RoboCop 2. Just like them mixing like that, even though they're both software. I think that's really cool. I like that, there's, I like that it's all machine. Where RoboCop's mouth is and chin is exposed, RoboCop 2 is all machine because there's no human there. Um, and I love this idea of everyone. You said it before, Corey, of everyone saying shoot him in the mouth. That's the only way to get him. Shoot him in the mouth. And like the first time I laughed because the uh, the person's like, no, he eats bullets. Like we can't shoot him in the mouth. He eats bullets. <laughs> it's great. But then they kept going back to it. Shoot him in the mouth. Shoot him in the mouth. And it was like, it's this thing where, you know, they, they're going to go for your humanity. Like, whatever you're exposing, whatever you can see, whatever you're exposing, they're going to go for it. That's what they're going to hit. And I love that. I love that that was everyone's goal was to get him in the mouth, just showing us that, like, he's still human, and that's what they're aiming for. They're aiming for that human part. I just thought that was so cool. Miller can have some great ideas, and in just, like, really really small things like that, that really get me. He does that in, uh, you know, Dark Knight Returns, too. He has some really small ideas that I think are very, very cool. And uh, this was one of them for me, The, the shoot him in the mouth just kept coming up, and kept, every time it came up i thought about it a bit more and i was like i really like this idea
0: yeah because it kept they kept doing it and there was even a part where he he gets i think he crashes his car gets messed up no a building yeah. falls on him and he's like he gets getting up and he has to like reattach his jaw yeah. like because it's dislocated and you can tell that that's painful to him and everything and and yeah it kind of goes against the the concept that i enjoy but i also enjoy this i think this is also super cool and like trying to really like delve into like what p and i like how she's like you know all you are is like some some parts of his brain his his lower jaw and some vertebrae and it's like and i again i just i like this concept of like what makes us human and you know and when robocop even the first movie is firing and when it's at its best. And it's at its best most of the time. But when it's at its best it's when it's getting into what makes Murphy or what makes RoboCop human, you know? And that's the kind of stuff that I find the most interesting. And it's yeah, it's yeah, it's a cyberpunk trope and everything and Ghost in the Machine Ghost in the Machine has has dived in f- deeper and further. But I love RoboCop. So I kind of want to dive into his world as well. And I think I think overall that's probably one of the best things that this story does is, is it really tries to examine RoboCop's humanity. Um, I, like I said at the beginning, I think that's the core of this story. And I think that's what I ultimately enjoy about it. Um, I think he does it better in the comic book, but they also do it in the movie as well. But I, I like this idea of examining robocop's humanity what makes him human is he human is he just a a a piece of machinery you know at the end of the day no he's not he he he's probably if anything he might be more human than human you know he's more human than us type of thing and uh Mm -hmm. i i like that and i like in this comic that he's almost like a superhero and and it doesn't go so far that it makes him not RoboCop like he doesn't put on a cape and he's not jumping off of buildings like he's still doing all the RoboCop things but he was a superhero in RoboCop 1 you know and and his his goodness and by that i mean like his morality made him a superhero in RoboCop 1 and i think i think Frank Miller really did justice to that and brought that into ro- his story for RoboCop 2 and at the at the end of the day dean i'll keep quoting you man yeah this is a mean story But RoboCop, the center of it is He He's he's sugary. He's sweet. He's always doing the right thing. And I think that's the beauty of Frank Miller's writing is that he can create this horrific world around you all around the main protagonist. And but the protagonist maintains their moral center. And that's what you want. That's what we want. And because we feel like we're in this world and everything, and it just, just God, just we just need somebody to have a moral center, especially nowadays with all the crap that's going on. It just would be nice if there was just somebody with this a strong moral center, you know. And maybe it takes a cyborg to get us there, you know. (laughs) Who who knows?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's that's what I liked as well from the story was Robocop, and what we got out of him. Uh, as i mentioned before those quiet moments that that's my favorite part of the book is the quiet moments with robocop just kind of trying to learn what he's thinking what he's feeling because he doesn't tell you that right like can you imagine robocop going to a psychiatrist and like having a conversation like how are you feeling robocop you know fine <laughs> you know how is your day today normal like he's just he doesn't talk right it's It's actions speak louder than words has never been more true than with RoboCop. And I loved just kind of studying and watching how he went about in this book, just doing the things that you need to do to show that you have morality and show that you care and show that you're human. And I love how Frank Miller chose to get that across to us. Um, I did say uh, he looked uh, the RoboCop two looked like Bane from Batman Forever. I'd like to correct myself. It's from Batman and Robin. So right before I get some angry right. emails, I'll just uh, you're right, Tim. I'll get that out of the way before the wrap up. I'll just make my apology now. Uh, I did. I did want to touch on one one last thing uh, that we didn't talk about, and it was one of my like favorite parts of this book and. Something I thought would have made such a cool scene in a movie, but they didn't go with it. And that's when the rehabs have set up a trap for the OCP police officers, where they get them lured into a building that they have booby trapped. And I just think this would have been such a fun scene for the movie, watching them kind of like go through this building and get hit with booby trap after booby trap. And then, pinned down with the rehabs on the outside, just shooting in on them. It was very memorable for me. Um Robocop ends up, you know, saving them. That's the only way they get out of it. He shows up to save the day. Uh, I just wanted to call out to that uh, that scene. I yeah. just thought it was a lot of fun.
0: that was a cool scene. And I'm always a fan of, like when, people sort of die unceremoniously. Like this one girl's freaking out, you know, and this guy's like holding on to her. And then all of a sudden Lewis dives as bullets fly by. And then they cut back to like, it's almost the same panel. But now that girl's like the side of her head's blown <laughs> off. Three and bullet everything.
2: holes in her. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I was like, that's cool. Well, not, not cool that a woman's dying, but you know, it's, it's cool. We gotcha. um, and then some guy gets blown up and, you know, it's just like, it's this book you know, I mean, if you if you if you're into like action and violence, it's almost like a horror movie. The violence in this comic book, but I love it all. I love seeing Lewis stab that guy in the 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 ribs because um, Rip he does such a great job with facial expressions too. Um, he every character is very expressive. On their faces, whether they're dying in horror and agony, um, or you know, you're planting a bloody kiss on on a very shocked Anne Lewis. You know, it's it, it the the art in this book is truly amazing. And and when I say he's a Jeff Darrow light or a Jeff Darrow clone, I don't mean that in any kind of you know disparity. It's it's if anything, it's a compliment because Jeff Darrow has always been one of my favorite comic book artists. So this book. If anything is worth picking up for the art alone, if you can find it. I don't it's not in print right now, and I think it goes for a pretty penny on on eBay as well. it's a it's a damn shame because this thing should be out there and and people who watch Robocop Two should be reading this. And if you didn't know this existed until now and now you want to go read it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> that you're gonna have to track it down.
2: Well, I picked it up on Amazon. They have a nice collector's oh. edition. Uh, okay it's so it's still about, available yeah it's only about 25 bucks it has this nine issues uh it has frank miller's actual script uh screen or screenplay i should say and it's got a few other robocop comics as well so it's like a 400 page uh huh. collection 25 bucks so maybe a little S- bit overpriced, still new not but... like
0: a, a used one or anything like that okay no no no, no I, digital I digital Oh, oh, oh! Okay, on on yeah, comicsology or whatever. Digital on Amazon, yeah. So if if you read comics
2: that way, you can still get it. Um, Yeah, it's a it's a nice set. It's worth it for sure. Yeah, even for twenty five bucks. But oh yeah, yeah.
0: No, yeah. If you can get it digitally for cheaper than whatever it's going for hard copy on eBay, yeah. Just I didn't even I didn't even see
2: a hard copy yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: it's just, <laughs> it's i couldn't t- it's see t- it's tough hard to to copy this. anywhere yeah. yeah uh just just a uh, one note on uh, juan jose rip since we brought it back around here i did want to say one thing i really like about him which uh is what i first noticed when i read black summer back in the day um is that he sometimes draws things that should be sharp as circles, like as round, rounded edges instead of sharp edges. And I really like that. Like when glass is cracking, he'll often make it just like circles of glass. Or when there's fire, it's like circles of fire instead of points. And I just find it very interesting that he takes that angle at it instead of making it like that sharp, dangerous thing. He makes it this this explosion of, of, of uh, curves. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I really love that in his style.
0: And I loved his covers better than Frank Miller's covers because they have them both in there. You can see them. And I, 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 I read Sin City. I like Frank <laughs> Miller's art some, but I think he's gotten a little bit zany with it. You know, a little bit of experimental. I'm an artist. I get what he's doing. I get it. It's just not my favorite style. I think Rips art is so much better than Frank Miller's. And I'm, I'm glad Frank Miller didn't draw the whole thing. You know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Fr- Frank Miller's covers were they were fine. They <laughs> they, they were fine. they weren't they were they weren't great. They were <sighs> kind of re- okay.
0: Kind of reminded me of Dark Knight Two, DK Two. I-, I was so hyped for that when it came out, and that was another freaking comic that took like eight months in between issues and everything like that. But I look back on that now, and I'm just like oh, Frank Miller. Sometimes you're a little. T- sometimes I feel like you've gone a little too far with your artwork, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm all for experimentation. Like I as a kid I love Sam Keith was one of my favorite artists and everything, but sometimes I want to be a, I want to know what I'm looking at. You know, like <laughs> right. I want to understand what I'm looking at here, yeah. you know? Yeah.
2: All right. Well, uh we're winding down here. I do just want to say one thing about the ending and that's after RoboCop picks up Lewis and plants a big kiss on her and he says goodbye to her. She asks where he's going and he says that's up to me now. I like that he's sort of no longer under anybody's programming, no longer under anybody's directives. He is his own person.
1: Yeah, it's so- I,
0: I love that, but I actually like patience, Lewis. <laughs> We're only human. I oh, not actually, actually, No, no, no. I, I don't love agree that. With
2: that. I, I love that. So I mean, that's much. funny. Again, it's a, <laughs> the total shift, right? But <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it's up to me now. Is more in line with uh, RoboCop One, you know, the, the movie where he's like, "That's Murphy," yeah. you know. I, I think that that's uh, it's more in line with that.
2: I think that's what yeah. Miller did a great job at here is really progressing the character from one to two, taking that who RoboCop was in the first one where he got to by the end and then where he starts off in this in this story and gets to whereas that is almost forgotten about in in the movie RoboCop 2 like it's almost like it's not even the same character and yeah they they get away with it by changing his directives and stuff like that but the two RoboCops from RoboCop the movie 1 and 2 feel so disconnected whereas um, RoboCop, the movie one and this comic, they, it's, it feels very seamless.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, that was such a, it's sort of like, I don't know if it's laughed at or whatever RoboCop one, but the fact that, you know, when the old man's like, you know, what's your name, son? He's like Murphy. Yeah. Like if you think about it, that's a huge thing, like because yeah. he is accepting who he is, and 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 it shouldn't be taken lightly. It shouldn't be taken as a joke. It's it's and it sort of becomes one because of a, it's memified now because he's smiling. But in reality, when you think about it, it's kind of the crux to the entire movie is him finding his humanity, and he finally finds it at the end. So yeah, Tim, I I agree with you. I think this is a better continuation of where that character stood then and there at the end of RoboCop one versus sort of what we see in RoboCop two and everything here. I think that's a du- more of a direct lineage here than, than in the movie.
2: Yep. Cool. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining. We set it off the top and we've proven it again. It's always so much fun when you join us. <laughs> it, it's true. It's uh, it's, we're batting a perfect 100 or wait, we'd be batting a thousand, thousand. right? Dean, yeah. you're the We're batting a thousand. 100's really bad. You're the bad. baseball guy. <laughs> <laughs> we're batting. Yeah, 100's terrible. Let me rephrase that. We're batting a thousand. We're always having fun. Um, yeah. Please tell all our listeners where they can find you. And everybody listening, please check out Corey's podcasts and check him out on Patreon where you can find that. Help support uh, our podcasts.
0: Uh, yeah. So. So I'll tie it in to Robocop two. Um my my main show, Podcast After Dark, um, is is a cult movie podcast where uh, Zach and I kinda break down and talk about all these Weird cult movies from back in the day and everything. Um, But we've also interviewed uh, quite a few people. Uh, We interviewed two people from RoboCop 2. We interviewed Tom Noonan, who played Kane. And then we interviewed Mark Ralston, uh, who's probably better known as Drake from Aliens. But he was also one of the striking cops in RoboCop 2. And uh, go out and listen to those episodes. But I will say that neither of them wanted to talk about RoboCop 2. I brought it up to both of them. Um, neither of them had anything good to say about it and they didn't want to talk about it. My incli I'm inclined to believe Uh that the, that the experience was very bad. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Irvin Kirshner has passed away. Big rips to Irvin Kirshner. And I i think it was more of a thing of we don't want to speak ill of the dead or, or something like that. But, yeah, Tom Noonan did not want to talk about RoboCop 2 and Mark Ralston did not want to talk about RoboCop 2. So still great interviews. Go check them out on podcastingafterdark.com. But yeah, they did not edit. I think that's very telling as to what happened there. Um, my other podcast is uh, Cartwright Seinfeld podcast that me and Adam do from the blast from our past, and uh, we're actually done with Seinfeld and we are on to Curb. So you can go check that out. Uh, and uh, uh, Podcast After Dark has a Patreon account. Podcast Patreon slash Podcast After Dark. And right now we uh, exclusively on that page. We are going through John Carpenter's f- complete. Filmography um, on the Carpenter Factor under the auteur de Force here. And uh, since we started at um, uh, Dark Star, the beginning of last year, um, we are going to be recording our review of, uh, I think, Vampires pretty soon. So we're getting to the latter end. Of his career, we just recorded uh, *Escape from L.A.*, um, and I think maybe some of his best stuff is, stuff is behind him. But we're going towards the end of the year with that, and then we will start with another auteur. We're talking, we're thinking Don Coscarelli next, um, who did you know *Phantasm* and, and you know all the *Phantasm*s and *Bubba Ho and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you know we're having a good time uh, on Patreon. Every podcast has a Patreon <laughs> these days, you know. So, but you can find every link. Every link to everything at podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com. Or you can, if you're an A Seinfeld fan, you can check out Cartwright a Seinfeld Podcast. And uh that's Podcast.com as well. So yeah, we're out there. We're having fun.
2: Right on. Please check that stuff out, everybody. Um, and if you want to support us here at Talking Back, there's a few ways you can do that. You can uh, tell your friends about an episode. Tell them about this one. I promise you your friends will like this episode. It's impossible not to. Do you Can I just say, yes? as, a,
0: <laughs> as a Patreon member of Talking Back, you guys have such great content over there. I just finished listening to the Mortal Kombat episode for your double features. You have a wrap-up, you know, monthly wrap-up show and everything. You you guys are going through the, um, the James Bond movies and whatnot, so... Your all's Patreon is rocking and rolling, and I am loving it. And by the way, i I love the Mortal Kombat discussion because I I love that movie. So sorry, no. sorry, dude, I don't mean to steal your thunder. No, but join Patreon.com/slash-talk. Uh, is it Talkback Pod or Talking Back?
2: Talking Back Podcast. Yeah, there talking you back. You'll there find you us at Talking Back, but Talking About pod, Talking Back Podcast. Well, Corey did our plug for us. That's great. I, I have less to say. Um, everybody, head on over to BfopNetwork.com. Check out one of the other amazing nostalgia based podcasts in our network. We promise you'll find something you like, or Dean will download his consciousness into a Robocop machine.
1: (laughs) It's already ready. I already have the disc. I have it on CD. I'll do it. (laughs) Go check
0: out Return, Revenge, Resurrection. I love that show too. I've been listening to it since day one, baby. Day one. Hey,
1: thanks, man. (laughs) Corey, thanks for joining.
0: Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. I, I
2: always have a blast and I I hope the listeners do too. <laughs> I'm sure they do. We haven't had any complaints yet, so yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dean, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks, Tim. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Hey everybody, I'm Corey, and I'm Zach.